Welcome to the BJSM Podcast. I'm your host for today, Karen Litzy, and we are coming to you live from the IOC World Conference in Monaco. And I am thrilled and honored to be sitting next to Dr. Marie Elaine Grant. She is a chartered, chartered physiotherapist currently on the IOC Medical Commission. She has monitored PT services on behalf of the IOC for the past two Summer Olympic Games. She has worked with Olympic athletes over her career and specializes uh, in sports and exercise physio. And she owns a clinical practice in Dublin, Ireland. So Dr. Grant, thank you for coming onto the podcast. Thank you, Karen. I'm honored to be here this afternoon and lovely to have this opportunity to talk with you about this interesting topic. Yes, and so the topic that we are going to be talking about today is bracing and taping in the athletic population. The first question we'll get to is when do we tape and when do we brace? Now, you've asked a huge question there, Karen. (laughs) It's the one that sparks all the debate all the time. Well, firstly, when should we use either? And then we can talk about, is there a preference for either or or? So when would we use either bracing or taping for an athlete? Essentially, there's usually three reasons why we might do it. Um, Personally, we might use bracing or taping if an athlete had an injury. And why would we use it then? We usually use them to support the injury, prevent movement, and sometimes they're used to help control swelling and if the athlete is moving around, most importantly, to help prevent against re-injury because the brace of the tape, the idea of it is that it supports and it limits a certain amount of movement. So that's one case and probably the most frequently used scenario in the case of an acute injury. Secondly, we use them extensively when an athlete is returning to play after rehabilitation. Now, this is always a very tricky time when an athlete has had an injury and it's that whole guesswork that's going on. How much loading should they take on that injured area and how much not to? And it has to be guided very, very carefully in very measured amounts of loading and activity as we rehabilitate a patient back to the field of play. And, you know, picking up on that, should we be taping or bracing these athletes after the acute injury has healed or has subsided? So let's say they're months down the road from their injury or sometimes years down the road and they're still wearing this tape. Is this a good idea? Great question, Karen. Um, We see a lot of different types of tape being used and we we watch our our televisions and we can see top players uh, going around the place with a particularly tape. Perhaps not so many braces, but definitely a lot of tape out there. And, you know, you have to ask the question, um, I saw that athlete with that tape six months ago and I see they're still wearing that tape now. Uh, What's the problem? Is this an ongoing injury that they can't get right and they need the tape? Or is this something that has just now become a a form of habit, that they have developed a dependency on it and actually think they need it more than they actually do? And there is that danger with ongoing use of taping or bracing that an athlete depends on it and and develops this dependency that certainly is something that most practitioners would not encourage. So ideally, once an athlete has got over an injury and is well rehabilitated and is performing well, ideally they are better to wean off any form of supportive device, be it taping, be it braces, if they can. And when you say wean them off, are we talking 
a graded exposure off the tape or are we just saying, okay, Saturday you're wearing it, Monday you're not, and that's it? No, it's never as <laughs> immediate and as straightforward as that, Karen. And nothing is ever simple in life, is it? Um, it it's a really great question because, you know, there's this whole psychological aspect attached to taping and bracing, which we can't ignore. Now, we always look to the evidence base, and there's nothing like having good, robust studies to try and help us find the answers. And yes, there have been a lot of studies done on taping and bracing, and most very definitely the evidence base is coming out in favour saying, yes, uh, taping and bracing does help prevent against reoccurrence, particularly of ankle strains. The ankles are the one that have been because there's so much ankle instability out there, it has been the one that has been most widely researched and indeed some very good studies done on it. And the studies coming out saying yes, um, they both bracing and taping well applied, correctly applied, can help prevent against the incidence of reoccurrence of ankle strain, but it is we are not sure yet about whether they really prevent against the severity of an ankle strain should it reoccur. But certainly the incidence seems to be down. The very big question, you ask an excellent question there, to say, well, okay, we know they're of benefit, but really should we be using them on an ongoing basis? And here you're talking about a number of variables, Karen. You're talking about the athlete themselves and the sport they're, 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 they're competing in. And you're also looking at the physiotherapist's opinion in terms of to what level of functional capacity has that athlete rehabilitated that injured ligament, injured joint, injured part to, to allow them to really perform at top level without needing the adjunct of a support? And if an athlete has got to that level that they don't really need it, and that is the, the feeling of their phys the medical team and physiotherapist, and is also the feeling of the athlete, we can't ignore the athlete in this, then definitely don't continue to use it. Now, there are lots of different scenarios that you can meet within that, and I, know, I can see you smiling there, because it's just not as simple as that. Sometimes you'll have, and the most common one is, you'll have you know, the medical teams that coming to the evaluation, together with the physiotherapist, saying this, you have a very functional athlete, uh, your ankle is fully rehabilitated, you're well able to take loading on it, you're well able to jump from a vertical height, there is no reason that you are at higher risk of uh, having an ankle, a recurrence of that ankle strain than anybody else. You are fully rehabilitated and it's very functional, therefore you don't need that ankle brace or that support. But the athlete says, oh no, no, I feel I need it and I know I won't perform as well and I have to wear it and I'm afraid of going over it and there's fear avoidance there and they develop this dependency on it. And that is one where the medical team really cannot override the athlete's call if it does interfere with the athlete's performance. And it's one that has to be handled very, very carefully. And because, you know, I can just picture, and we kind of talked about this before we started recording, but, you know, we were saying they have their lucky pair of shoes or their lucky pair of shorts, and if they can't wear it, then they can't perform. And I can imagine that that taping or bracing can kind of take on, that, that's a deep-seated belief that's really hard for that athlete to break. And if it is so deep-seated, yet the tape isn't preventing any, let's say, further uh, injury or re-injury, is it upon us to start weaning them off of that if they can? And how would we, how would that, we, what does that weaning process look like? It's a difficult one. And I've been there with many athletes. And it really requires a team approach. 
you really need the coach on side, you need your sports physician on side, and you need the physiotherapist. And they all need to work together on this. And sometimes you need whoever surrounds the athlete, uh, be it their girlfriend, boyfriend, partner, uh, young athlete, parents, whoever. And everybody has to have a clear understanding of what the, the ultimate aim here is. And you might argue and say, well, okay, the athlete likes the tape. The tape is doing no harm. Medical team have come to the conclusion that this tape is no longer required. Or it's not really performing a real function here. Um, why not just let the, the athlete go on wearing it? And that is an argument. The other side of that argument to say, well, do you leave well enough alone? Or do you try and change? Or do you try and alter? Um, the other side of the argument is, listen, you are better to have an athlete not dependent on something they don't need. And why do I say that? It goes back to what you were talking about there, the lucky pair of shoes and the lucky shorts. For any athlete going out to competition, every elite athlete will have a very strict drill on the day before and certainly in the hours leading into competition. And that drill and that discipline that they have developed, that they get themselves to that starting blocks of the track is absolutely something that has to be fully respected. They know when they want to eat, they know what time they get their bus, they know how much warm-up they do, etc, etc. Now, if wearing the tape is part of that, that becomes part of that athlete's regime. That being said, I have observed many athletes over many Olympic Games and I've worked with teams and athletes at a very high level of competition. And one thing I have observed over these years, and it's not based on medical science, but simply common sense, that the less the athlete is dependent on as part of their preparation for an event, the more chance you have of that going right. So for example, if you are dependent on that piece of tape, even though it's not really doing an awful lot physiologically or biomechanically for you, but you're dependent on that piece of tape, and then you open your bag at the crucial moment, you're in the final of the 400 meter sprint in the Olympic Games, and you open the bag and whoopla, that piece of tape has been left at home in your room and nobody else around you has the same kind of tape. That's your race gone. Yeah, that's a problem. It is a problem. So the overall philosophy is the less dependency athletes have on extraneous supports, the better. And the more likely they are to have consistent and really good performances. Because you can't, these variables can't go wrong on them. And they can keep their drill very, very, should we say, similar on each of those. Yeah, that makes so much sense. So much sense. Now, let's talk about the tape that everyone sees at the Olympic Games. So they came out of Beijing, and, and this is the colorful, beautiful K-tape. Um, and I think when a lot of people think of taping, this is what they're thinking. They think of this K-tape. So what is the mechanism by which K-tape functions? Great question, Karen, yes. K-tape has sort of taken the world by storm. Certainly around the 2008 Olympics, Beijing, when uh, it really came first on the market and uh, it really caught everybody's imagination and I, I saw all types of shapes and designs and patterns and some of the really wonderful, wonderful fashion accessories actually um, at the Olympic Games in, in Beijing. Now we didn't see it to quite the same extent in, in, in the London Games and it sort of seems to be even to a lesser extent there in Rio in terms of all this colourful tape being used. So where are we with this colourful K-tape? There are many questions about it. Now, what we first of all have to be very, very honest about in saying that athletes continue to use it and they continue to request it. So therefore, there is something in this, there is something to this, which 
good practitioners cannot ignore. We have to listen to this and we have to try and understand why athletes find this beneficial, even if the science is not there to fully tell us in what way it is beneficial. The thinking behind it is, as you know, it's a very, very light tape. It's made of a very, very light substance. It is, um, there's a weave on the tape and it is the weave on the tape that is thought to be the, the factor that actually it's, that, that has the effect on the skin. And the whole thinking behind it is rather than the stiff tapes, these very rigid tapes that we know about that support ligaments or support a joint, the kale tape actually is a very soft tape, it's a very light tape, so it's not the same stiff structural type of tape that we'd know for support, but it's a tape that addresses the dermis of the skin. And in the dermis of the skin, we have a lot of sensory receptors. So there is some theory behind the fact that it maybe it's affecting some of the sensory receptors and in so doing affecting proprioception and perhaps maybe in some cases muscle activity. That being said, there is no concrete good evidence to say that it's doing any of those things. Where it is starting to come through and where there's a better understanding of what it's doing is really more in the treatment of really very superficial injuries because it is thought that this very light tape because it affects the organ of the skin helps to relieve pain and also helps to affect the homeostasis of blood flow and lymph so in such cases obviously we're going to get some alteration in blood flow where you have a contrusion or you have a, a hematoma and by applying this light tape it has been seen that these hematomas appear to resolve quicker with the tape than without the tape. There are studies out there looking at resolution of superficial injury, um, which look promising. Why it and how it actually helps to do this, we are still not fully sure. But if it's helping, it's not causing any harm, then there's no reason why not to use it. And I think the big thing about taping is that we need to do this K-taping is we need to have a much better understanding of what it is doing, how it does it, and to ensure that athletes don't develop a false dependency on it. Now, another question about taping, whether it be the K-tape or the zinc oxide tape, whether it be rigid or, or incredibly stretchy. You, have, you tape your athlete, they go out and they play 10 minutes, 15 minutes, a half an hour, they sweat, the tape falls off. Do you retape in the middle of a game? What, what do you do? Technique is absolutely crucial to a successful taping appliance. And technique must be really, really good. People must understand what they're about and they must be experienced at what they're doing and well practiced at what they're doing. So that's the first thing, is to apply the tape really, really well. Second thing is the quality of the tape, to ensure that you're really using a good tape, a robust tape, a tape that adheres well. If you're taping an athlete that you, and obviously if you're doing it at a competition time, you've taped this athlete before, you're familiar with the athlete, if, and therefore you will have an understanding as their physiotherapist or the person who looks after them um, at the time of competition, how well the tape adheres to their skin. There are lots of different skin types and obviously if we encourage athletes to not have hair and the area that has to be taped, etc. So there are all those preparatory things, make sure there's no oils there, so to make sure that the skin is well prepared for it. You may, in addition to that, have to use one of these adhesive sprays. 
So the first thing is, get it as right as right you possibly can be. Now, okay, say you've done everything perfectly, but this is just a particularly heavy athlete. Obviously, the bigger the athlete, the greater the loading. And then if it's particularly hot climate, uh, the loading on the tape is going to get be put under more strain, so the chances of it loosening are greater. And then if you're in a lot of very hot climate where the person sweats a lot, well, then you're going to get a lot of soggy, awful stuff going on. And yes, the thing may come undone. At that point, um, there are two questions you have to ask. Firstly, how crucial is it for that athlete to have that taped again? If it's absolutely crucial that they're just recovering after an injury, well, then you have no choice. You have to tape. If it's something whereby the patient is, the athlete has become more of a used to taping for something that has long since uh, recovered and isn't too fussed about it, and him or herself, they don't come off looking for it to be taped, you let them go on. And thirdly, even if they do want it to be taped, in some sports you're actually, the therapist can't go on and retape. It's not allowed. So you've got to know the rules of the sport. Can you retape? Can they have an intervention through the, the time of the competition? And if they can't, they can't. They just have to go on. Can you talk a little bit about risks of taping? Any contraindications? There are always risks with everything. Um, and, the, and the primary risk with taping is to firstly have a very clear understanding of what you're trying to do. Um, if you don't clearly understand what you want to achieve with tape, and you don't have a clear understanding of what structures you're trying to support or what you want to achieve with it, my advice to any person working with athletes is don't do it. If you don't understand, you don't clearly know why you want to do this, this technique or apply this tape, then just don't do it. Then given that you do, you are the case, which is normally the case, that you want to say, we've talked a lot about ankles, let's just stay with ankles. Uh, you want to support a, a lateral ligament to help prevent against an inversion strain. So say you're in that scenario, um, the contraindications there would be um, if you are dealing with a very, very acute injury where there's a lot of swelling and you think they're going to continue swelling, but then you don't put on a tight support. You put on a compression support, but you check it and you can reapply it. So no really, really tight, rigid supports for an acute injuries when, where there's a lot of swelling. If the athlete has got a poor skin quality, again, you want to take that into account. Where there's open wounds, you don't want to tape over, sticky tape over an open wound. If there is any kind of a neurological deficit or if there is loss of sensation in the area, again, I would be very slow to tape in those kind of uh, scenarios. And by and large, for young athletes, young athletes under the age of 13, I would apply a supportive tape, but more like a supportive dressing in the case of acute injury. But I do not encourage a dependency on tape going forward because it's very very easy at that young age uh, for a young athlete developing athlete to develop um, a dependency on uh, taping or bracing which may actually be detrimental to them in, in the long term in terms of their performance and also in terms of adaptation yeah absolutely and and when you're so let's talk about not the k tape right now but let's just talk about that more rigid tape once that tape is applied and the athlete goes out into their game and they they play or into their practice how long do the properties of that tape last it's a great question um there are again a lot of studies have been done on that i mean they started the studies on doing that in the early 1990s at that stage, it was sort of coming out saying that, you know, they offered 20 to 
to 30% um, support, but the support was really gone after 15 to 20 minutes into a game or any kind of loading or running on it. Uh, more recent studies show that the tapes, because the quality of the tape has improved, and also the techniques in applying the tape, we have better understanding of exactly how to apply it and where we really need to reinforce the tape and what tension to put on the tape to really support the structures, the desired structures. Therefore, the, the current thinking is, and the evidence is suggesting that, you know, the, uh, the efficacy of the tape will last for longer and that you can go for, you know, a half an hour, an hour and only end up with about a 50% reduction in the mechanical support that the tape offers. That being said, even looking at the studies, Karen, that is something that's extremely difficult to measure exactly because you're looking at so many variables. How is it applied? How much activity was done, etc., etc. So we're talking very generally there, um, and it's just really just a rough guideline. One more question on bracing, and it's something that you had mentioned uh, during your talk, and it's bracing versus neuromuscular training. So I'm a physio, you're a physio, a lot of physios listen to BJSM. This is very, this was very surprising to me. So can you talk to bracing versus neuromuscular uh, exercises and which one is more effective post-injury? Wow, I wish I had all those answers to, to make that choice. Um, in terms of the big question, will neuromuscular training override either the use of the tape or the brace? And it's an excellent question. And we as physiotherapists, we would sort of automatically, without even thinking, we'd almost have a knee-jerk reaction, a knee-jerk response to that. Of course, well, do your exercises, get on the wobble board, do this, do that, of course. Stand on one leg, do this, exactly, yes, yes. Exactly, and we'd go gung-ho, and we'd be delighted to see somebody rehabilitate, and we'd push them all the way with their exercises, and rightly so, rightly so, because we can see with our own eyes, function improves, functional capacity, performance improves. Um, so it's just, it's logical, it's common sense, it's what we do. And we know it's what our athletes and patients, for that matter, needs. It's what rehabilitation is all about. The conundrum here, Karen, is that our much-respected evidence base at the moment is not supporting that view. When we look at the evidence base, it is telling us in many of the studies, and they're good studies, that in actual fact, if you're looking at or you're trying to measure, uh, say, athletes, there was one study done there quite recently looking at... Um, 384 athletes aged between the age of 18 and 27 who sustained a lateral ligament strain and they were evaluated for occurrences, recurrence of the, the ankle sprain and say a third of them were put in a brace, a third of them were given neuromuscular training and a third were given you know, a combination of, of both. Very interestingly, you and I sitting here as, as, as physiotherapists, if I was asked, well, which group came out the best, I would automatically say, oh, of course, the crowd that got the neuromuscular training. I hate to say to you, in actual fact, no, the group that had the neuromuscular training did not come out as well in terms of injury prevention and uh, lower rate of reoccurrence than the group that had uh, worn the brace, which is somewhat disappointing. Yeah. Because we sort of say, you know, we surely need more muscular training because that's what we aim towards. That's what we aim to rehabilitate all our, all our athletes and all our patients in, 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 in different walks of life uh, to, 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 to wean off um, dependency. Surely a patient who can walk without a white, uh, walking stick is in a better position than a patient who doesn't require a walking stick. It's a bit of a no-brainer. I think what we have to do here is we have to be very, very, really, really analyse this in its true context and in its entirety. 
when we're looking at these studies that show that you know a lot of supportive mechanisms come out as well as or if not better than neuromuscular training we have to look at what we're measuring and we're only measuring a very 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 limited factor so when the athlete did the neuromuscular training all we're being told in the study is that they didn't have the same rate of reoccurrence of the lateral ligament strain what we don't know is how much better was that athlete running or jumping. If we were to go and talk to all those coaches, they might say, oh yeah, yes, yeah, he went and did all that, those exercises. He's so much, he's running better. He's not avoiding it as much. There's less fear avoidance. So what we have to do is we cannot throw out the neuromuscular training by any stretch. We just have to understand it in the context of the study. And the study is particularly looking at this as is it affecting the recurrence of the lateral ligament strain? That's the only answer, it is, the only question it's addressing and the only answer it's giving us. But we've got to look at the patient or the athlete in their entirety and say, yes, there's probably lots of other factors there that they have benefited by, by doing that neuromuscular training. Agreed. Excellent. Well, I think that is a great way to end the interview. And I can't thank you enough for taking time out of what I am sure is a very busy schedule here at the IOC World Conference. So um, I thank you very much. Uh, for coming on and a big thank you also to BJSM for including me in this conference and, and in the podcast. So thank you very much, Dr. Grant. Thank you.